probably seen that video like 12 times, but uh, it's just so impactful just to see that how a disciple can change the world. And, and I'm, I'm privileged to be here this morning. I'm John McDermott, as, as Rob said, and, and I want to talk to us this morning, get in the boat, to get in the boat. And, uh, you know, C. Chung, that was such a great example. C. Chung got in the boat, and he became a disciple, and uh, God trained him and used him. And, and really, this, this, this morning, it's really uh, understanding the call to be a disciple. And we're using the boat as a metaphor. And uh, uh, it's, it's just so powerful when we think about that. How And we learn this, actually, from Genesis 1. I love the Bible Project. How many of you have ever seen any of the Bible Project videos that are out there? Google it. The incredible uh, videos that are being made to help explain the Bible in, in video form. But uh, the, the Bible people, they call it, uh, the Bible Project guys, they, they call it the first page of the Bible. So Genesis 1, the first page of the Bible. We see, we learn a lot just in Genesis 1. We, we see that mankind was created in God's image. Uh, that, that he fashioned and formed them, male and female, he created them in his image. And so this, this idea that God has created us to be image bearers, to, to convey the image of God to the world as he created mankind. But not only that, we also see in Genesis 1, which is phenomenal, we see that, that the creator of the universe, who's both transcendent, which is he's greater and beyond all that he created, but also he's imminent. In other words, he's present. You know, we see that in the garden, that he walked and talked with Adam and Eve, that he's transcendent, he's above all, but he also is present and in relationship with man. And so in Genesis, we see how God not only created mankind in his image, but he also invited them, and this is incredible, that he invited them uh, to, to uh, this mission, that their mission was to take the model of the garden and fill the earth with it. So God created humans in His image and desired to partner with them to manage, or you could even say to rule over, the planet. We get that all from... So that's this backdrop, how we have to understand that that's God's original intent, that He desired and created things and then and then wanted to partner with mankind. That's just this nature of of God. He partnered with us, desiring to partner with us, that we would, in essence, manage and rule over the earth. And what that was is that we would take the model of the garden, that culture of the garden. You could even say that the garden was almost like heaven on earth that they would take what, they, what was modeled in the garden and they would then go and fill the earth with it. So that was God's original intent with mankind, to be in relationship, but to, be, to also be in partnership with this mission. And so, you know, we, we see as we read the Bible, we can, we can understand that, that uh, the, the fall happened where, where mankind decided that, hey, you know, uh, we, we don't want our will and our mind to be in harmony with your will which would be the partnership. You know, when we partner with God, we take on His mind and His will about things, and we, we emanate His image in the earth. Mankind basically said, mm, no, we'll pass on that. We'd kind of like to do it our own way. And that was the fall it was a result. So the, the fall happened, and man lost this, this partnership with, with which they were created to function in and to live out, and they began to live 
according to their own will and mind. And so, but God, never, his original intent never changed. You know, he's not like, uh, you know, a, a, a coach that their team goes 0-3 and, and they go, all right, scrap that, we're going to go with plan B. No, God is always stuck with plan A. That is, his desire to partner with mankind to manage and to rule and to expand the nature of heaven to the rest of the planet. That's always been God's heart. That's always been his mission, and he hasn't deviated from that. So God, you can see as you read the Old Testament, you see the story where God was looking for people who would, whose mind and will could be in harmony with his, and he looked and he found some for a season, and he tried to work with them. But as you read how that failed, uh, over time, it constantly, God would find somebody and they couldn't be a perfect. Even Moses was a good example of someone who partnered with God, to, and, and had his mind and will was in harmony, but yet we see at the end of Moses' life, he kind of fell short, didn't get to go into the promised land. We've seen King David, you know, that God chose David and he defeated Goliath, but then, you know, David had his things where his mind and will wasn't in harmony with God. But God, knowing that he was working with, with people and individuals throughout the Old Covenant, but he always understood that there was going to be a perfect image bearer a perfect one who would, who would completely merge their mind and will with the Father's. And that was Jesus Christ. And so we fast forward to the, to the new covenant with Jesus arriving on the scene. And so here's Jesus. He arrives on the scene. And what's Jesus' intent? His intent is the same as the Father's, right? He wants to restore the ability of mankind to be in relationship with the Father and to join and become partners with God in expanding the, the culture of the garden to the rest of the planet. It's kind of simple, and religion kind of confuses all that for us. But it's quite simple. So when we read Jesus coming on the scene, we're going to see immediately this this dynamic, this original intent expressed in how he began when he started preaching. And we find that in Matthew 4, verse 17. It just comes out right away. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wow. You know, religion has to confuse that. But he meant what he was saying. What was he saying? Repent, which means what? Change your mind and your will. Because man had been going their own way with their own mind and will. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, repent, turn, change your mind and your will. And he says, why? Because the culture of the garden, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wow, what's he doing? He's restoring that mission that began on page one of the Bible. So now we will understand that Jesus is now looking for what? He's looking for people who will do what? They will repent, right? They will change their mind and their will and, and allow it to become in harmony with His and join Him in the mission of expanding the kingdom of God. That is the whole foundation of the Bible. That is in harmony and gives explanation and meaning and purpose to all our lives. When we understand that God is calling us not to just, you know, uh, to believe in his death and then go to heaven when you die, Jesus Christ 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, is still looking for those people who will repent and join Him in the mission of expanding the culture of the kingdom of God throughout the earth. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's about time I understood that. So, all right, so here's, as we continue in Matthew 4, so, hey, again, right here it is in the Bible, plain as day. It says, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Okay? Verse 19, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's just pause for a moment and go back to something. Let's define what a disciple is. A disciple is, is, is number one, one who knows and follows Jesus. A disciple is somebody who knows and follows Jesus. Two, a disciple is someone who is being changed by Jesus. So you could say, in essence, that a disciple is one who is being changed, or you could say that one who is being developed, one who's being shaped, one is being trained, or one is being transformed by Jesus. So a disciple is one, somebody who knows and follows Jesus. Two, is being transformed or changed by Jesus. And three, is committed to the mission of his kingdom. So that's a good working definition of, of what a disciple is. So when we go back to Matthew 4, 19, we see that Jesus says to, to uh, Peter and Andrew, he says to them, follow me, right? Follow me. And then he says, and I will make you, right? So a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. So Jesus is saying, follow me, right? Because it's the call to disciple. Follow me and I will make you, right? And I will make you. I will develop you. I will train you. I'm inviting you into this mission and I'm going to train you. And the mission for them, because they were fishermen, he understood that they could relate to this. And in a moment he said, hey, you used, basically, you used to fish for fish. I'm going to use you to fish for men, which is at the heart of the gospel of the kingdom of God. So he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What's he doing? He's inviting them into this discipleship in order that they could become partners with Him in advancing His kingdom of spreading the culture of heaven on the earth. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed Him. Going on from there, He saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and He called them. In verse 22, immediately they left the boat... They left the boat and their father and followed him. So, brings us to point two. Our point, point, first point, that a disciple is one who knows and follows Jesus. So, in essence, you got to get out of your boat. See, these guys were in their boat. You know, we all live in our own world. We all live in our own boats, and, and Jesus is calling us out of your own life into His life. 
He's calling you out of the way you did things, calling you out of the way you thought about things. He's calling about how you used to have a will about things, about how you thought about things, because he's trying to get you out of from your old life so that you can begin a new life with him and being part of the, the, the mission of advancing his kingdom. It's, 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 it's so powerful when you just look at it simply. See, we have to be willing to, live, to leave our old life behind. If you want to be a disciple, you have to be willing to leave your old life behind. And so we see here, man, they left their old life behind. You know, when we think about this, you know, sometimes if, you know, some of you may have been like me when Jesus called them, like, you know, you had a boat, and, uh, you know, your boat wasn't going that well. You know, it's kind of probably was sinking like mine was. So Jesus asking me out of my own life, that was kind of, yeah, I can't wait to get out of this thing. It's sinking anyway. And, and you know, that's one way we come to the Lord. But we have to get out of that. It's amazing how some people, they're just rather like, like the captain. I must go down with the ship, right? It's like, hey, you know, all right. So, but there's also some of us, you know, your life is going okay. Your boat's sailing along. You got your own thoughts. You're kind of navigating okay through life. But the problem is, is that to be a disciple, no matter how good or bad your boat is, you've got to get out of that boat to get into the life that God has for you. It's about changing your mind, changing your lifestyle, changing your preferences, changing your, your desires, changing your attractions. It's all about you have to get out of that into what Jesus has for you. So, you know, you can just see this, how uh, whatever the cases be, he called them, and, and, and they, you know, stop and think, man, they had to leave their relationships. Now, they had to leave their current, and you know, being in Manhattan, it always kind of brings back my relationship. I went to high school here, and, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I uh, pretty well just uh, smoked dope through my high school years, and... Uh, uh, you know, and I had friends that were related to that activity, that lifestyle. And so, you know, when you're younger, I find this to be true. When you're younger, your friends mean so much to you. And I know they do. They, you know, the younger you are, you know, it's like your identity oftentimes comes from your friends and your relationships and your interaction with your friends. And unfortunately, the older you get, you kind of like, I just want to be left alone. So, but, but, but standing, standing true, so often God may be, be asking some of you to change your relationships. That some of the relationships you have, you need to come out of. You know, Pam and I thought we were going to be empty nesters. Uh, our, our youngest son, Zach, uh, went to, is at Hutch Juco now. And, and so we were like, this spring, we're like, man, how many, we're going to be empty nesters. This is going to be, this is going to be fantastic. This is going to be great. And uh, just through a certain set of events, we wound up now, we have two teenage foster kids living in our house, uh, Tyrese and Jayante. And I'm amazed at the, this degree of how it's like they're addicted to their friends, and, and how much their life is surrounded by, you know, my friends. And, and, and so, but God, in many ways, is asking, just like he asked uh, John and Andrew, to leave those relationships, get out of their boat, and into the life that Jesus has for you. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this. But the point number one is you've got to get out of your own boat. 
You know, the, the, the idea of your, your own boat is, 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 is however nice it is, however you think that boat is going to get you to where you want to go, that you might have a strong sense of, I'm a master of my own destiny, everything's worked out. Let me say this, the problem about your own boat is never going to be enough. Your boat is never going to be enough for you. Remember, like that, like that, that powerful song in The Greatest Showman, you know, where the, the woman's singing, there's never enough for me, for me, you know? Does that, was that close enough that you got to know the song? All right, thanks. Uh, but, but that's the hard cry of being in your own boat. You know, you think you're making progress, but you never arrive at the destination. And what is the destination? That you would be doing what you were created to do with the one life you gave. Look, you only got one life. One. That's it. One life. That's all you get. You don't get a do-over. You don't need, oh, man, can I go back? No. One life to be and do what you were created to be and to do. And we see what that is in Genesis 1, where God wants to partner with you to rule and to manage the planet, to expand the kingdom of God throughout the earth. That's what gives you meaning and purpose. That's what makes sense of the Bible. That's what makes sense of life when you realize, oh, God is trying to partner with human beings. Why am I created the way I am? Because God created you to be an image bearer. In the image of God, He created you to bear His image. To be His image bearer. And your boat won't ever get you there. You might be ahead of other people, but you will never get to the place of your, of your created destiny. And that is to be in partnership and harmony with the mind and will of God. Now, let's jump ahead a little bit in Matthew. So, Jesus has been with the disciples. You know, they've, they've done some things. They've seen him teach and preach. And so one day, in Matthew 14, he preaches all day long. And his disciples, being caring individuals that they are, they said, hey, Lord, it's getting late, and the multitude are getting hungry. Send them away. And uh, he says, hey, you guys give them something. They said, we don't have anything. And they, they found this poor kid who had a few loaves and fishes, and they took what, from what he did, and Jesus multiplied it, and he passed it out, and, and, and the multitudes were well-fed. They were so well-fed that they even have, had leftovers that, that were more than what they started out with. It was, it was, and it was a miraculous all-you-can-eat buffet. I mean, nobody should have gone home hungry because there was plenty of leftovers. And so after doing this, this is what's amazing. We join this story. So Jesus has just done this incredible miracle of feeding the multitude. And then Matthew 14, 22, it says this. Immediately, immediately. So after it was all done, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. He made the disciples, this is so important. He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Now, there was a great distinction there. The disciples didn't get to go back. They didn't get to go home. He made the disciples get in the boat, but the multitude went away. This is interesting. What is this? 
Well, this is kind of like the idea that disciples are different than everybody else. See, disciples, they don't go, hey, all right, uh, take a week off, we'll see you back next. No, they like, hey, big day, busy day, you know what, guys? You 12 have to get in the boat. The disciples go home. See, the, I mean, not the disciples, the multitude go home. Now, what is this? This is interesting. I would just say it like this. Christians get well-fed. Christians come and they sit and they eat and they're like, hey, this was good. I got fed. You know, you took care of me. This was a great thing. You, and then they go home. There's a difference between Christians and disciples. Disciples didn't get to go home. They had to get in the boat. Let me say this. Christians go to heaven. Christians go to heaven. Disciples change the world. You know, I know when I was little, even growing up here in Manhattan, Kansas, I had older siblings, and I, I was born in 63, so as I was growing, uh, you know, I was coming into teenagerhood, if there's such a word, in, in, the, in the 70s, so to speak. And so, but there was a great amount of, I was too late for the civil rights movement, although I was very familiar with what was going on, but I was just a, a young kid, and I was too late for, the, for the, the idea of the revolutionary 60s. I was too young. But there was something always in my heart. There was always something in my heart that I wanted to do something to change the world. And thank God, when I became a Christian, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the day after someone looked at me and said, man, God's called you to change the world. That made an enormous impact on me. That man, that was something that sparked something deep inside of me. Like when Si Chong was talking about when he had an encounter with God, something in him just rose up inside of him. And as he read the Bible, it started feeding that. Feeding that what? To change the world. And here we see in Si Chong, one man, the result of his obedience to be a disciple, 500,000 people are trained in China to lead and to minister the gospel in China. That was something to call, to answer, to be a disciple. That, that was the response. And so, you know, that's this, this idea that we have to become a disciple because God has created us to partner with Him in this mission of expanding the righteousness, peace, and joy of the kingdom of God. So, back to this. So, there's really two kinds of people. There are the crowds who just had a big meal, and then those who are sent away. Now, now, now think about this, because this is phenomenal, because uh, it strikes counter to kind of our uh, intuitiveness about life and you know, our affinities and things like that. So the crowds got sent home, and the disciples got put in the boat. They were told to get in the boat. Now, this is interesting, because the disciples now are being put in a boat. They kind of had loose relationships, possibly. Jesus was always there, so he was kind of the center of their activity. So they may or may not have developed relationships really very well with one another. But in this situation, Jesus had to get, tell them to get into the boat and go to the other side without him. What's amazing about this is that Jesus was telling them to get into a boat and he was defining relations for them, relationships for them not of their own choosing. They didn't get to choose who else was in the boat. They didn't, that's pretty like, 
That, that's like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, you know, where's, where's the affinity group? I want everybody like me in there. No, and if you understand the history of the disciples, there's a lot of diversity. So if you can imagine, the multitude go home, but the disciples have to get into a boat. And this, and this not only is this boat in this, this lesson, in this story, uh, a, a, a metaphor, but it's also, if you stop and think about it, it's a training exercise. You know, it, it, it's, it, is, it is in essence what it is. It is a team building exercise, right? I mean, how many of you ever done those? Like, hey, let's go uh, build a human pyramid or, you know, this rope challenge where you have... This was, an, this was a phenomenal team building exercise. So, for what purpose? For the purpose of transformation. The, for the purpose of them being developed. That brings us to point number two. That a disciple is one who is being changed by Jesus. In other words, you've got to get in the boat. You've got to get in the boat. And you might say, yeah, get in the boat. You know, maybe God's asking you to get in a boat with some people not of your choosing. Maybe there's opportunities here at Bluemont for you to get involved. And you're like thinking, ah, you know, really, do I need to do that? You know, can you imagine one of the disciples as they were kind of like moving towards the boat, turning to Jesus and saying, uh, are you saying if I don't, you know, get in the boat then, that I'm not a Christian or that I don't believe in you? Can, you know, can you imagine? But that's what we do, right? It's like we lower the, 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 the idea of, the, of, of what Jesus wants to do in our life to whether I have to do it in order to be a Christian. Jesus is trying to change our mind and our will. He's trying to shape us and to fashion us and to transform us. You know, and when you, when you think about this, I, I was, I was uh, the, the Banff Canada has a, uh, a movie festival uh, every year, and it travels, and it was in Lawrence just a couple weeks ago, and it's outdoor sports videos from all over the world, and it's like incredible filming, and I was invited, Pam and I were invited to friends, so we went, and it's incredible, these feats that people do, and climbing mountains, or riding their bike through the Arctic, you know, things I would never do, but it's nice to know you could watch them on a movie. So they had these incredible filming of these people that were kayakers, and they were going off these waterfalls, and incredible white water, but they were literally going over waterfalls, and uh, it was spectacular, but as I was watching it, I had the thought, that's this, that there are no kayaks in the kingdom. You know, there's no individual boats. You know, that that the master transformer puts us in relationships with other people to develop and to change us. Now let me say, I know, you know, you can, you can read the Bible on your own. You know, you can even have, you know, dreams and visions and, you know, prophetic insight on your own. But nothing will change your life than getting in a boat with people not of your choosing, but God's choosing. Are you willing to get into a boat and develop relationships with people not of your choosing? So not only are there, though, no kayaks in the kingdom. A few, about 15 years ago, some friends of ours bought us, uh, Pam and I, uh, a seven-day Caribbean cruise. And that thing was fantastic. 
I mean, it was incredible. I don't know that I'd ever want to do it again. But, but it was just, you know, it's so cool. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but literally your only responsibility is just roll out of bed. And you just roll out of bed, and there's people, all everything, taking care of you. And, you know, I developed a strong addiction to uh, soft-serve ice cream on this trip. And, I mean, I couldn't get enough of that soft-serve ice cream. And, uh, you know, and so, but there, there's just, and everybody's so friendly on the cruise ship. I mean, everybody, it's easy to get along with people. You know, oh, excuse me, pardon me, you know, we're on my way, you know. And there's, they don't, there's no lines because they don't want anybody to have to stand in line. So the, and the food's always there and, and whatever else, they're there to take care of you. And it's just, you know, so amazing. You eat and you overeat, but... You know, not to ruin that story, but, but, you know, so it's just so incredible. You know, everything's taken care of. But what was amazing, you know, people were so happy on the boat. You know, and, 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 uh, but as soon, the day that we departed the boat, and people had to stand in line to get on buses or taxis to go where they're, uh, oh, you would believe, where, it's like, oh, where did all that goodwill go? You know, they were fighting in line, and hey, get out of my way. So not only are there no kayaks in the kingdom of God, there's no cruise ships either. You know, but you think about it. A lot of times our Christianity has been cruise ship mentality. Come to the event where you will be fed. You know, you know be fed. And people sometimes are like, you know, I'm leaving that church. I wasn't being fed. It's like, what? You weren't being fed like what? You can't like... You, you can't eat? What's, how, you don't, the church's responsibility is to train you to learn how to feed yourself. So if a church is like, I'm not going there anymore, I'm not getting fed, that's like, well, that, that's not their job. But, but people go in modern Christianity to the place where it's like a cruise ship. They just want to walk in, they want to walk in and everybody's taking, oh, hey, how's it going? Can we, here, we'll take your kids, we'll take your, you know... <laughs> Just your kids. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and we'll take care of it. And it's, you know, I, I like the worship music. I read it about a seven and a half. It was good. You could clap to it, but you couldn't dance to it. You know, like we become these, these consumers of Christianity. But what is the goal? The goal is, is that your life is in a life in shared relationships with people not of your choosing, that God has you in this incredible transformation process. It changes the way you view life. It changes the way that you see obstacles in your life. Because if you're a disciple and there's difficulty, you know what? You know, it's God is using this to transform me, to shape me, to change me. And that's what was going on on this day when Jesus made the disciples Go in and get in the boat. Go to the other side, and guess what? He said, yeah, I got a storm waiting for him. I got a storm waiting for him. So he went up to the mountain and pray. And uh, it says, and after he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And it was evening. He was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. 
Now, this is interesting. What is, what is Peter doing? Peter's gotten in the boat. They're managing this situation, right? This, is, this actually is like, a, this is like a training exercise, but it's modeling something for them as well. So they're in this boat together. They're incurring, incurring they're being affected by the uh, wind that's contrary. And it's, the storm's picking up. They get kind of nervous, and they see Jesus. They think he's a ghost. But then he says, no, do not be afraid, right? Because what? He's in there training them. You know, he's training them. Don't be afraid. Take courage, which is always necessary in living a life as a disciple, is to take courage. And so Peter sees Jesus out on the water. What is Peter understanding by now? Is that God is always wanting to partner with man with, for the mission. So if Peter sees Jesus out on the water, he's seeing, oh, that's what Jesus is doing. What's his instinct now? I want to be out there with you. Hey, Lord, if it's you, call me out there. So Jesus said, hey, come, right? What's Jesus asking us? Come, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Now, here's the important point. A disciple is one who is committed to the mission of his kingdom. Right. But it's from the boat you walk on the water. See, there are no side, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. You, you, could, be, you could be a model Christian solo, but you'll never walk on the water until you're willing to get in the boat. Because you only walk on the water from the boat of the relationships, not of your choosing. That's what God's doing. See, listen, how are you going to partner with God if you can't learn to partner with other people? How are, you going to, how are you going to fish for men and women? How are you going to do that when you can't really even get along with people that are of the same DNA of other believers? So we have to first, Jesus is trying to help us to understand that we, don't, we, we may have this idea, you're going to do something great. You're not, you might do something relatively great by the world standards, but you won't do anything of kingdom significance if you're not doing it from the boat. Because in order to walk on the water, you've got to first be in the boat. So going on in verse 30, but seeing the wind, they, uh, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why do you doubt? Verse 31. When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Now this is interesting. So Jesus and Peter got in the boat. The, boat, the wind immediately stopped. Why? Lesson's over. Right? If you can see this, this whole thing was this whole this team building this exercise, to, when the wind stopped, it's like, okay, lesson learned. File that away. File that away. Because that's an important lesson to learn. It's to understand how God works. And so, uh, and those who, verse 33, uh, and those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, you are certainly God's son. So here we see this, this, these, these principles at work. Now, Fast forward as I begin to close. Fast forward a little bit. 
So, Jesus went to the cross. He died. He was resurrected. He met with the disciples. And before He was ascended to heaven, He told the disciples, Go wait in Jerusalem. Go wait in Jerusalem to receive power from on high. And so Jesus ascended, so they did that. And we're going to join this, we're going to join this story now in Acts chapter 2, after those things had happened. And so there they are, and we see in Acts 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. What's that remind you of? They're all in the boat, right? They're all together in one place. Whoa! People not of their choosing. You know, they didn't, like I said, they didn't gather their little squad of friends and then come to Jesus as a group and say, we'll follow you. No, he picked them individually. Put, and here they are. He told them to go wait in Jerusalem. So there they are, right? They're there in one place. Now, understanding Jerusalem is where, you know, they had the trial for Jesus and crucified him. So they're there waiting for something. But they're there, and they're kind of a little bit maybe possibly hunkered down, right? They're hunkered down. They're like in the boat in the storm. There's possibly a lot of turmoil in Jerusalem at that day. Pentecost, a festival, you know, there's a lot of activity, a lot of buzz going on. And then what happens is the Holy Spirit falls upon the place. Signs and wonders. You know, tongues of fire come upon them. There's a lot of activity now coming from the disciples. So much activity because the Holy Spirit has descended that it begins to attract the attention of the multitude that are there standing in, in, in Jerusalem through the festival of Pentecost that they see the disciples and the activity. It's drawing their attention. And so it says here in, in, in verse 14, fast forward, it says, but Peter... Taking his stand with the eleven, all right? Taking his stand with the eleven, all right? Now, now, remember, right? Peter's probably like, all in one place. He's probably being thinking, okay, this is like that boat ride. This is like that boat ride. And the Holy Spirit falls, and that there's the multitudes. And Peter looks out upon the multitude. What is it that he sees? He sees the Holy Spirit hovering upon the sea of humanity. He sees Jesus walking on the water, ready to minister to people. So what does Peter do? It says, Peter stands up, right? He stands up like he did out of the boat. He stood up out of the boat and went to go walk on the water. It's the same principle applied. So Peter sees what's going on. It says, And he raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And then he begins to preach this whole history of God wanting to partner with mankind in the mission of expanding His kingdom and, and of, the, of the history of the Jews with Him and how He's reached out and it's fallen short. But now, He has found the perfect in Jesus Christ. And at the end of it, He says, This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made Him both Lord 
and Messiah, the, the, the promised one, Messiah, but the Lord over the kingdom of God and Lord over all of humanity. And so Peter preaches that and he, and he steps out and he preaches that. And in verse 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And what do you think Peter said? He said exactly what the Master said. He said, repent. Right? What's he saying? Change your mind and your will. Your mind and your will has been going this way. Change your mind and will to be in harmony. Right? To be in harmony with the Father. To be a participant. To understand He's calling you back into relationship. But not just in relationship where you can sit there you know, and have nice little conversations. He's in relationship in order that you can partner with Him in fulfilling the mission that He's had from the very beginning. The original intent. Nothing's changed. He said, repent. And then what does he say? And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Which is what? It's the same thing. Get out of your life. Get out of your boat. Get into this boat. Repent. Change your mind and will. Be, leave your old life. Have it buried in the waters of baptism. Coming up in newness of life. Then it goes on. For the, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. With many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Again, get out of those boats and get into this boat. So then those who had received His word were baptized, and that day there were about 3,000 souls added to their number. Added. So what do you see here? This beauty. On that day, Peter is a light bearer. He is an image bearer of the Father, and he's been trained. He's been in the boat. He's had the experience. He's been in relationship with people, not of his choosing. He's walked in faithfulness to be a follower of Jesus. And then he's ready to step out of the boat and walk on the water. And he preaches. And guess what happens? 3,000 come in to the boat to begin to be trained to expand the kingdom of God, to expand the word of God throughout the earth. And we read the rest of the books of, book of Acts. And we see, here's people. There's so much image bearers of Jesus that the term Christian came about, which really means little Christ. These little Christ, these people are acting like they're Jesus. Exactly, because they're image bearers. They've been transformed and conformed, and they begin to represent who Jesus is and to expand the culture of the garden to the rest of the planet. So as I close, just to remind us, there's a call to be a disciple. And a disciple is one who knows and follows Jesus, follows Jesus. He is being changed by Jesus and is committed to the mission of his kingdom. Amen. Let's just uh, bow your heads. I just want to pray for us. Father, I just pray you would seal this word in our hearts. Father, you would, you would awaken our hearts to the boats that you have for us. Lord, that we would change the way we view our life. Lord, that we would allow you to put us in a process of transformation. That we would follow you. 
be changed by you, and be committed to the mission of your kingdom. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.